0: To the Fret Club. My name is John Height. Good to have you aboard here. Uh, this show, if you're not familiar with it, we talk to musicians, specifically guitar players, and uh, it comes from my interviews for Vintage Guitar Magazine. I recorded these interviews uh, to write stories about these folks in the magazine, and now we thought since we had them, we would turn them into. A podcast. Uh, the, today we're going to talk about and with Vince Gill. It would be hard to find a musician who's more well respected by fellow musicians than Vince Gill since he broke in back in 1989. He's written countless country music classics, considered among the finest singers and guitar players in the music field. Uh, not only that, many folks who have run across him say he's the nicest human being in the world. Vince's national exposure started with Pure Prairie League back in 1979. He joined that band that had already found plenty of success before he joined. Uh, Vince's vocal gave him their last hit with Let Me Love You Tonight. As a solo artist, Gil has amassed 21 Grammys. This interview happened in summer of 2011, coincided with the release of his album Guitar Slinger. We also talked about the brilliant box set These Days, which had come out in 2006. You'll also hear about the Nashville flood of 2010, which destroyed some of vince's guitars and amps so here we go Uh, we start with talk about the guitar slinger album it's vince gill from
1: 2011 oh gosh you know i think at at this place in life all you're trying to do is get better all Uh you're trying to do is play better write better songs sing better um and i think as you get older you 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 learn brevity you Mm -hmm. learn to edit yourself i guess um it's you really try to to massage all the subtleties in in the music with with me with, with guitar playing and with soloing it's going to have a great pocket it's going to have a great you know they have to have a beginning and they have to tell a story um they're they're conscious of the melody um and, and once again it's um the subtleties of, of finding a better you know really massaging the sound and making it just that much better and, and taking the time to um, That's what I do anyway Sure, you know? sure And uh, it's an on—it's a, it's a really fun uh, it's a fun search you know, it's a fun you know, I'm not somebody that just that's good enough let's me press on I really, you know I'm a, I'm a part of every note of these records so whether it's the bass part or whether it's drums or whatever, you know just mm-hmm. whatever it is mm-hmm. it all has to has
2: to speak mm-hmm. in a good way. It sounds likely me my ear because, but uh, you're playing a lot of guitar on this one. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, I am. Yeah, what? my manager decided said, you should call this album "Guitar Swinger." Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, "Okay." He said, "You're playing more on this record than I think I've ever heard you play," and and that's you know I think that the result of that is is. Uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot of, you know, we're still trying to have hit records. Sure. You know, we're still trying to have three minute records that you get on radio and everybody loves and wants to go by. and We're trying all that, but at the same time, at the end of songs and things, why not have a two and a half minute guitar solo?
2: Sure. Here,
1: you know, I mean, go, you know, go play. And, and he said that, you know, all you really, it seems like your records, you play a late bar solo in the middle, and, you know, that, and it, kind of for me, that was enough. Mm-hmm. You know, but the older I get, and the, the, I've always felt um, like a chameleon. I, I like playing all kinds of styles.
3: Sure.
1: And, uh, I think mean, most people perceive that I'm just a, you know, at first glance, that I'm a telecaster, just country player. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a whole lot more sort of influence in there than just that in my playing. and And it's starting to. It's starting to come out you know I think the big reason is um, I think people are starting to see me as a musician that I've always been uh-huh. because I'm not quite so current to, uh, on radio and having hits and just seen as this country music singer guy
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that's part of it and I think Eric Clapton inviting me to those Crossroads festivals um, has put me in front of a uh, a core of, of music Musicians and lovers of music in front of very often. Interesting, yeah. And it's it's been it's been really gratifying for me for people to see me more as the musician I've always really seen myself as, uh, and and trying to explore that and trying mm-hmm. to uh, to let that be seen, and and, and also I'm, I'm, I'm getting invitations play on people's records. Yeah.
2: That, that was my next um, question. I keep hearing oh, really? on re- Well, I just reviewed the Cap Mo. I just reviewed the David Bromberg, and yeah. <laughs> so you're there, so are, are you getting more calls? Is that why, how this I, is yeah. all working out? Yeah, played on a, a Johnny Weir
1: record not
3: long
1: ago,
3: <laughs> and uh, Sonny's
1: record a year so uh-huh. ago, Sonny Landreth, and uh-huh. Joe Bonamassa's new record, and um, uh, you know, now. Rittenauer reached out to play on that record that he sure. did with all the guitar players. And so if, you know, if I'm getting those kinds of calls, it's, it's unbelievably gratifying to me, huh. you know, to, to be seen mm-hmm. as, as once again, as how I've always tried to in, intend
2: on being seen. Okay. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun stuff, I can tell. Can tell just from listening to what's going on. That sounds fun. I gotta ask you. Uh, now you recorded this uh, in your home studio, right? The, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. Is this the first thing you've actually done? Like the whole the whole shebang? You know. Yeah. I
1: mean, it, I started my record first, and, and unfortunately, not unfortunately, but some other things wound up getting in ahead of me, and and, and this record was backed up for five or six months. And mm-hmm. And whatnot, and but now this studio, since we started making records in here, has been—we've been doing all kinds of things in here, and it's really been a real gift to to me and and, and the home, and having music here and musicians running around the kitchen, and <laughs> it's a great there's a great vibe in here, and it's the, the musicians love it. You know, we sit in this room, and there's windows all the way around. You're looking out, you're seeing trees, you're seeing the sky and it's not a a commercial feeling looking place that you know Uh there is no ambience outside and here there is and it's man people are just having a ball
2: over here oh good good plus you know the owner right (laughs) pretty much it's a good deal Uh, can I ask you about uh, and part of this goes back to the thing we were talking about with you collaborating and, and the way people are starting to view you as an artist maybe it'll lift a little differently uh, I want to ask you about these days uh, because it was such an amazing set of music uh, I'm just curious at the time <laughs> what, what, what was in your head to go ahead and do that that way because it was certainly something that was kind of unprecedented for an artist like you
1: well, <laughs> well. <laughs> I, you know, more than anything, I I kind of felt like over the years, you know, so I started looking back over all the records I've made, you know, if I'd put 11 songs on a record, I might have written 30,
3: uh-huh. you know, or uh-huh.
1: 20, or, or whatever. And just because a song didn't fit in that, in that stack of 11 tunes, I don't think diminished the song, uh-huh. it's it not being any good. And... I started to realize, I said, my God, there's, I have hundreds of songs in, in, in the drawers here that, that they're never going to see the light of day.
2: Sure.
1: Um, and, and as I prepared for this record, I've written, I always overwrite and overwrite and overwrite, not that every song is great, that's not true, but mm-hmm. um, with this project, I, I got in the studio and I was having so much fun, and I said, well, shoot, I wrote this song. You know, So I'd really like to see what that would turn into. <laughs> and kind of once again, the freedom of not being, um, you know, they weren't beating my door down to get a new record and, and um, not in the throes of having a hit record every three or four months
3: mm-hmm.
1: needing to keep feeding that, that beast, you know, so much. Yep. I, I had the freedom. And um, I said, "All well, I want to see what this song would turn into. And, and I tried this song I see what it turned into. And I I was having so much fun and um and the guys were all up for hanging out and recording and making making good dough and and uh, and, and I looked up a month and a half later and I recorded, I think, twenty five or songs. Yeah. And I, and I, I'm gonna have to punt thirds of this stuff. I'm only gonna be able to put them all for twelve on this record. And, and then I started to, as I started to look at the material I'd done, I go, well, you know what I could do is I could take this batch of eight or nine or ten songs, and that'd make a unique traditional record. This is really country. Because my records have always been, here's a contemporary song, here's a real traditional song, here's a, a barn burner, here's a this, here's a that, they all just kind of lived, in, you know, in one place. And I thought, you know, I could really, I could really focus a record to have uh, you know the only record i think i ever made that was um, was kind of i don't want to say thematic but but just you know everything was was in the same vein that never took you out of that place was the key mm-hmm. back in 97 or 98 right after my father died and mm-hmm. uh, i wanted to make a really traditional country record and i did and, uh, so then I, I started kind of taking all these songs off. I put that batch there and that batch here, and I, I went to the record company. And I said, "I think I'm onto something here. That's different." And, and you guys may think I'm out of my gourd, but <laughs> I think I could. I've got two or three different kind of records that are pointed so different that that they can each kind of stand alone, and they love the idea. Cool. And I said, you should go record some, you know, some bluegrass too. Like an Americana Bluegrass kind of record. And so I got, I got their blessing, which was, you know, which I would have thought was, was never, never even possible. Sure. Sure. And so just to have their support and and willing to go be creative, because I have done tons of different things, you know, I I, I, I played all kinds of music. and, And so I got to really Know, go in there and, and if a song was, was very Americana-ish, I didn't have to do something to kind of, to, to, to pull it into being a country song, right?
3: You know? Right. Uh-huh. and
1: so everything had, to me, had the opportunity to be authentic.
3: Okay, okay.
1: And so that's, that's, that's kind of how it, it wound up being born, you know, and then, sure. and then I saw, I saw a, in the in the studio, and I, uh, the guy that owns the studio, John McBride, is a Beatle freak, a complete Beatle freak. And I, I noticed on the wall somewhere that they had the release dates of, of three different Beatle albums within a year. <laughs> and I thought, well, that could never happen today. <laughs> but what if I could, you know, it, it, it really inspired me. I go, why couldn't we? You
3: know? uh-huh. Like,
1: didn't you try something like that? So they were keen on it, and they said, well, rather than. More separate records. Why don't we put them all together and tell the story before? You know, you know, so we thought about releasing them separately.
3: Mm, okay.
1: At one point, and so that might be confusing. So, yeah, you're probably right. So they we boxed it all up. And
2: yeah. Made it one. It worked out.
1: And, yeah, <laughs> it did. And you know that to the to the record company got it, which I I love to give them the credit because they deserve it, but. They took their greed out of the equation Mm on this project, and they priced it in such a way that it wasn't a money maker for them. And and, uh, I really—that was admirable to me. We've had a long relationship, twenty-two years now, and that meant a lot to me that they would do that. And so they made it affordable. We made it. You know, if he'd have made that a fifty-dollar record, nobody would have.
2: Exactly.
1: come close to it, you know, but you yeah, it it's just a few bucks more than a regular record, and they go, well, four for one,
2: I'll try that. A lot of music <laughs> for a little money, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, can I ask if it's, and, you know, I know your background, and I don't obviously want to delve way into your background, but I'd like to hear a few things just out of your mouth directly about when you first started, uh, what got you interested in, you know, guitar, music in general and guitar broad question again, but just kind of, you know. Yeah,
1: I just, you know, there was music around my house. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad played, my mom played the harmonica, just a tiny bit. My brother played a little bit, had records. Um, My dad's mother played the piano. Mm -hmm. And I just, I can't ever remember a time when somebody wasn't playing something. You know, my dad would have friends over and they'd play their folk songs and the songs that they liked. And and I just I can't even I don't remember a day when I didn't I didn't want to have my hands on a guitar. Okay.
3: Know, my
1: mom yeah. one mom that got pictures of me dragging this little parlor guitar around by a lampshade, you know, if I was a baby <laughs> um, I heard Chad Atkins, I heard the blues, I heard you know, I heard a little bit of everything and said, Okay, that's me. I <laughs> <We'll> gotta <laughs> find
2: out how to do that. <laughs> and you obviously just from listening to you play growing up. I mean you all those influences obviously were there you must have been listening to a lot of stuff I'm guessing yeah
1: Yeah. I was playing I was playing Jimi Hendrix Jimi Hendrix licks right along with Bill Monroe licks you know Mm -hmm. um I just liked it all I really did you
3: know
1: I feel like kids are sponges Mm -hmm. and and that's what I you know my experience was I learned as much as I could and then spent the next 40 years trying to forget a lot of it but (laughs) weed it out and edit it out
2: and, and whatnot, but it's all it's all in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, and a big broad question again, if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. Uh, anyway you can just give me a short list of influences, you know, without I know you'll feel like you're leaving people out. I hate to you know,
1: oh, yeah, well, pin you down. Chat would be chat would be mm-hmm. would be won, Atkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Beatles, oh. um,
2: Gosh, oh. yeah, I know, I, I know, huh? I know. It's an impossible question, but
1: well, you know, I, I also, you know, I always get asked, "What was the first record you ever bought?" And I'm not sure if it was a Beatles single or "They're Coming to Take Me Away." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh. you know, it's 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 all of it. You mm-hmm. know, it
3: just was. It
1: just was the sound of music. You know. I thought, when I was little, I thought there was little people in there actually in that little transistor <laughs> radio playing, mini- really miniature people. Um, and I, you know, I liked anything. And I really did. Um, I loved rock and roll because I was a kid, and I loved the blues because my big brother played it and it sounded dirty and it sounded naughty and I know. <laughs> you know, it,
3: it,
1: it all, it all spoke, you know, Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. I remember when Lady Sings the Blues came out, I was a teen, young teenager probably, and, and I'd never heard anything like that. I go, like, what is, you know, this whole big band thing, and then <laughs> Torchy Blues singing, and then I was I went to that movie 50 times. <laughs> um, but, gosh, you know, when I got I, I, I got uh, ex- exposed to bluegrass music, and that, that changed my path quite a bit, you know. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. So it was, you know,
2: it was. a a full palette
1: from day
2: one I think it's kind of a different world I'm about the same age as you so we were exposed I think to a little more maybe than younger guys are now yeah what a great era yeah yeah 60s and I don't know I think all
1: that early rock and roll was cool because it still had it still had a swing influence you know you had Mm -hmm. had bebop players playing rock and roll and then it had the straight eights going, but also da-dang, mm-hmm. ding, 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 and it was swinging on top of it. It
3: yeah.
1: was an unbelievable combination. And then
2: everybody just started playing straight eights, and it was na 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 na, and quit swinging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we uh, talk a little bit about uh, the notes Beverly gave me? Said that you lost uh, a ton of guitars in the Nashville flood. Uh huh. Um, did you lose stuff that you'd had a long time? Obviously, you must have. I would guess. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, um, you know, some of it was um, was didn't matter at all to me. Sure, there might be a somebody build a guitar, a prototype or something, say, hey, try this out, and they showed sure. me that. And and there were a lot, there were lots of things like that, but but there are also a lot of things that I used and, and played on records. And, and when I went in there to, to the place where we had all the carnage, kind of set out and cases opened up and the swamp water all over them and
3: the finish
1: oh. was all rotted and the, the frets were rusting already and, and the stench was just ungodly. Oh. Um, you know, I just looked down and I said, well, shit, that, that guitar played that solo on that record and that yeah. guitar played that rhythm part on that record. And it was like my, it was in a sense, it was like losing my mind. My, my, Photographs. My,
3: you mm-hmm.
1: know, people. I love the analogy of people when they say, "If your house is going to burn down, what are you going to say? What are you going to go in and get?" My pictures, my photos. Sure. And those were mine. You know, the mm-hmm. musician. That's 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 what they take pictures with. is, is music, and instruments, and stuff. And they all they all had a life. They lived. And they you know they spoke and great relationships, but, you know, it was as awful as it was, it could have been a lot worse. They had uh, all the stuff that I play all the time on the road, and my, the one telecaster that I'll have to, probably have to go in the, in the grave with me yeah. um, was they were going to unload all that stuff. We were coming home from the road on that Saturday when the floods really started, and they said, man, it's a mess. Let's not, let's not unload the truck yet. So they, the truck stayed in Kentucky, and, or it would have oh. you know, just an hour away from probably going and loading it in the front of the building. It would have been the first to have been trottled. Oh. It was gross. A ton of amps, 30, 30-something amps, 60 vintage cases, a lot of great old mountains and, oh. and, and monitor cases black Darth Dellies and it just the case loss was gross and it just uh, I don't know. I uh the, the 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 salvation for me was my daughter's wedding was the next weekend.
3: Oh, okay.
1: Uh-huh. And so I just said, Well, you know, they not, not, not they're not gonna take my joy of what's gonna happen this weekend but they take
2: sure
1: Amy heard about it all, she says you can make a living with one." <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I can think of that same sound but I
3: could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's good.
1: But yeah, it was a, it was painful, but you know, a real painful spring cleaning, is where I've kind of chalked it up and I've had fun going out and, and finding some some other pieces.
2: Some new stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm i never i never I'll never stop looking, you know, I, I found an old D18, 1937 D18, the other day that I thought was the best sound guitar I'd ever heard in my life. And I have a few that I said, I can't let this one go. It's better than the rest. I have to
2: have it. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, well, of what you got left then, I guess, what do you play for the most part? What, uh, what are your favorites that you still, that you oh. still have? I
1: am a really insane collector. <laughs> I have a little bit of everything: old Martins, old Gibsons, old,
3: mm-hmm.
1: old tenders, old you know three thirty fives, old uh, you know just you name it. I've yeah. really tried to. I want to have a little bit of everything, you know, and, and plus utility stuff that mm-hmm. that you might need for recording and, and and just to have a wealth of sounds. Yep, at, at, at your fingertips is is great, is you know, because I don't I don't want. I don't want to play everything on one guitar.
2: Sure,
1: you know. So I mean, at times I'll gravitate (laughs) to one. Like, oh, this one won't let me down. I know how it sounds Uh and all that. But
2: still, always searching for something a little different. What, uh, as far as the telly that, if I saw a picture of you in my Uh head that pops up, what, uh, what, what is that, and how long uh, have you had that one?
1: 53. Uh-huh. Uh, I bought in 1980. Okay. Mm-hmm. 79 or 80. And I've had I've I've found several others of the same vintage, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I just that one uh, that one has a a really um, unmistakable sound. That you know, I think my friend Joe Glazer, who's a great uh, luthier and repairman here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. He said, "That's like a Roy Buchanan guitar. You know, it's hmm. just got its own, it's got its own sound, and, yep. and it doesn't matter what I plug it into, it still sounds like that guitar." Um. And I put, you know, I got to play, I got to play Dwayne Allman's '57 Gold Top about two months ago down in Macon.
2: In yeah, the show there. And I noticed we had a picture of that in our new issue. <laughs> oh
1: my God, it's, 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 it's it was. I, I, the chills that were going through my body were unbelievable. <laughs> that guitar had so much soul and grit and underneath stuff that I couldn't even describe. Uh-huh. It was it was amazing to feel in my fingers and in my body that every note was like was like vibrating.
2: Interesting,
1: yeah. And uh, it was it was really something to. To, to have in my hands feel go through the air that really you know it, it's a definitive sounding guitar
3: hmm.
1: you know Yeah. and, and to ha- actually you know I heard it I've I tried to emulate it on when I was a kid sitting in my room
3: mm-hmm. hearing
1: play that guitar you know on the, on the first couple of all my brother's records yeah. and all that and then to, to actually hear it in real time with your own ears in real life from the wood. It was, it was like a religious <laughs> experience. And I've been on a, you know, of course I've been on a quest ever
2: since. <laughs> Looking for something. To find some pa
1: that sound just
2: like that one. Haven't found him yet? One, it's
1: not out there. <laughs> <laughs> that's why
2: that's that guitar. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that is interesting. Uh, the, uh, I, tell me if my memory's uh, that or what? Uh, like I said, I'm about your age, and I saw you with Pure Prairie League uh-huh. many, many years ago. Were you playing a 335? Probably. Then?
1: Probably. I probably I played I played mostly Gibson with them. I I really like you know because those were, we're rocking pretty hard. Yeah. And I like the humbucker sound, and and then a lot of the pop stuff. I was really a Larry Carlton still am a Larry Carlton uh-huh. freak. I was trying to play a 335 on the front pickup, with lots of
3: and
1: lots of top and singing and all that and still love that sound and it was my first guitar with a
2: 335 and my mind Uh. isn't uh, isn't as addled as I thought maybe (laughs) (laughs) I I do recall we saw uh, me and my buddy saw you guys and Ozark Mountain Daredevils and my buddy looked at me and said boy for a couple of country bands these guys rock pretty hard (laughs) And uh, it's always stuck with me, Yeah, uh, all these. <laughs> uh, and I also recall, speaking of Larry, since you brought him up, uh, a show you did on the Nashville Network with him many years ago. Or, oh,
1: yeah. American uh, Music Shop. Is that
2: what it was? I don't. Yeah, I just awesome. recall him saying, and I've always been a huge Carlton fan. Uh, he was always one of my favorites. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, I knew, obviously, who you were liked your playing. But when you guys started playing that stuff, I was kind of like, boy, this, this is a whole different realm <laughs> uh so I, I do recall oh, yeah.
1: that. I love it all.
2: Yeah, I I was gonna say so that's more evidence of uh, <laughs> all the stuff you like. What about amps, Vince? Do you do you have favorites that you you know you're gonna use on the road or that you might use in the studio or is it kind of a you know, a hodgepodge of stuff? Well,
1: I like you know, I've I've uh I've started using a, a, a an amp called Little Walter. Okay. The a guy uh, Phil Bradbury makes in uh, North Carolina and they're I I just love them you know for what I do it's great it's just great you know it's um it's a real simple uh, pristine clean sounding amp it's it's really what his um desire to build was and and he did it you know and Mm -hmm. I just I don't know what it is about him but um they're very simple, um, but, you know, you can go do whatever you want to with compression and reverbs and delays and distortion boxes, mm-hmm. overdrives and all that stuff. But the original signal just is really gorgeous to me. And mm-hmm. I started using those live, and, um, and, and I don't, I don't use that, you know, I have, oh God. <laughs> Hey, you take, talk about guitars? Now let's talk about amps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm
1: always, I'm always looking for that, um, for that unbelievable sound. I, uh, I like a uh, guy in town that's making an amp called Third Power. Okay. I think are really good. Um, I've got a lot of old tweed stuff, mm-hmm. you know, deluxes, and I got a, a friend of mine, Danny Nader, from Cincinnati, who gave me a fifteen, gave me a fifty nine basement. Sweet basement, okay. and that uh, that changed my life. You know? <laughs> I Got that amp because I would I would listen to Clapton, and I know he he play a lot in the middle position of a strap, mm-hmm. and, and I, I would try it, and I would just go, "Why? This just sounds a little bit clanky. It doesn't quite saturate and and do to the to the low end what I wanted to do. It just never would quite." throw it all the way through, you know?
3: Uh-huh.
1: And then I, I plug into this 59 basement and I go, oh, there it is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, 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 a lot of times it takes the perfect amp, you know, to, mm-hmm. to to, see what it is that makes something great. And I use it a lot. And, okay. You know, once again, I just, I'm willing to try anything and, and move the mics, mm-hmm. turn it up, turn it down, and it's a fun process, you know, searching for a great sound, and yeah.
2: Um, so, I always think, after all these years, we should all have our own sound already. But sometimes you just have to keep. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, never well, it never stops. <laughs> you know what happens to me?
1: I think is is you're, you know, it, it takes you a while to adjust to whatever that is that you got going on,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and then you you're, you're continuing to fine tune. You know, and you go, okay. I love this. Will I always love it? And then you'll get accustomed to it, and you go, okay. Now, how can I? How can I make this better? Mm-hmm. It's no different than, than the same process you're trying to accomplish in the studio. You, you you go, okay. This is we like this, but how can we? How can we go two steps further? How can we? You know. And, mm-hmm. and to me, it's the same same thing in the pursuit of of the sounds, you know, the mm-hmm. sounds are they're as as important as the notes. Yes, and, I agree. you know.
2: Yeah, certainly. You, know, you just
1: you can't you can't ever stop. And, and everybody, everyone, every guy's the same. We're all a little bit insecure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Guitarists, what? Insecure? Oh yeah. <laughs> my, my, here's my favorite
1: story that illustrates and proves that. <laughs> um years ago, Eric Clapton wanted to cut one of my songs. And I was, you know, jumping up and down, and he said, I want you to come play on it. And I said, okay. And so as I got there, and we were in the studio in, in New York, uh, uh, it was a real heavyweight band and all that, and I was, I was nervous more about my sound than I was about my playing. <laughs> I said, I know I can play. I'm not afraid to play, but... Dang it, you know, he gets such a great tone and I, I, I want, I want my tone to be really spectacular. And so we're tracking and we finally, we finally get the take that we love and everybody's jumping up and down at it. And it's kind of a bluesy thing and he is completely annihilating this song. You know, he plays this long, you know, two minute solo at the end of the record and he just is crushing it, you know? <laughs> and, I'm, and throughout the song, I'm playing a few fills just adding, adding little bits of this and that, you know. And it's just him and I and the engineer in the studio. And I played something, and I it was right after he played something, uh, and I, my, my mind went, "Dang, mine sounds kind of like a tinker toy compared to that." You know? I wish mine sounded like that. And then he played something, and and uh, I had just played something. And, he leaned over to the engineer and he goes, Hey, does his guitar got reverb on it? <laughs> and the engineer said, No, and he goes, oh, Shit, just make mine sound that good. <laughs>
3: that's
2: beautiful. But at the exact same time, we were both thinking the
1: exact same time. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah, that's it was
1: hysterical. I just fell on the floor. That's,
3: yeah.
1: I, said, I was just thinking the same thing to myself over we'll here by
3: myself. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got one more question and I'll let you go. Uh, you talked at the beginning when we were talking here about uh, just trying to get better that kind of thing would would Vince Gill be the kind of guy who still practices a lot or
1: oh yeah really okay oh yeah I play I probably play a little bit every day
2: uh-huh
1: you know I don't know if it, I don't know that I consider it to, to be practiced
2: sure yeah
1: just to at least stay stay on top of it you know yep sure you take a couple weeks off and don't play and you pick one up and you go out in front of people and you go oops
0: yeah. You know,
3: yeah,
1: you know your mind and just the, the getting your mind to your fingers and it just there's the, just a little bit of delay
2: <laughs> yeah I, I know exactly what you mean
1: that's why that's one reason I started playing with the Time jumpers, uh swing band on Monday nights here in Nashville was just to keep my chops up
2: oh really okay
1: yeah they blaze man it's, a, it's kind of a western swing well fun high endy um band, and, and it's a bunch of monster musicians, and you better, you better freaking hang on.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it can all
1: blow in a big way, you know, and Yeah, you
3: know, huh. it's
1: been great to me, playing stuff that's a little in over my head, and
3: wow. it makes yeah. me
1: better, and so yeah, I'm always, I'm, I'm always trying, trying to, to, well, huh? half the time you're trying to forget a lot of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that's what the, that's what the secret is.
0: Is what you don't play. <laughs> well, uh, Gil's solo career continues. He's also taken part in the last couple of Eagle tours uh, since the death of Glenn Frey, playing guitar and singing with the Eagles. He lives in Nashville in that area with his wife, fellow performer, Amy Grant. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is the Frat Club. My name is John Height. Let us know what you think. You can send me an email at jheighthbi.com. And Check out the Fret Club on Twitter and Facebook, where you can also leave a note if you like. Uh, Don't forget, these interviews come from my work for Vintage Guitar Magazine. Check them out at www.vintageguitarmagazine. These were recorded for magazine interviews, so the quality you might have noticed there at the end of Vince's interview, not the greatest, but it was never intended for podcasts. But as long as we got them, we thought you might be interested. So thanks for listening. We will talk again with you next week.